What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and someone gave me a microphone, and, well... Here I am, in your ears. Today on the show, we're talking about dank animal memes, kids. Did you know humans aren't the only ones spreading sweet memes? That's right, we're talking about viral bird song that's getting retweeted like crazy, otter Tupperware parties, and dolphins engaging in the hottest new trend, shelling. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, how do fireflies synchronize their butts? Joining me today is podcaster, comedian, Jeopardy champ, and bison connoisseur, Alex Schmidt. <laughs> I, like, I just need to get all of that on one business card as soon as I can now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to Vistaprint or something. We're going to get it done. <laughs> Why am I plugging Vistaprint? I don't know. It's the one that jumped to mind. Back to you, Katie. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so... Today, much like business cards, we're going to talk about memes, <laughs> which is <laughs> basically, so what a meme is, uh, here I am, okay, old grandma Katie is going to explain to you kids what memes are, uh, just pull up a seat, imagine me in a backwards baseball hat, I'm sitting backwards in a chair, and it's like, hey, hey kids, how's it going? Let's talk about memes today, but... <laughs> <laughs> at its essence, a meme is the spreading of information at a rapid rate and using, obviously, we use these fun little image formats or 
funny joke formats. You're basically spreading this unit of information and then everyone takes it and alters it slightly. But hey, kids, did you know that animals can meme too? They can meme with the best of them. <laughs> I do. I have like the, the backwards in a chair talking to the kids thing makes me think of the actual science teacher who tried to tell us that meme is like a scientific term that Richard Dawkins and other people were using. And I was like, oh, it, buzz yes. off. I want advice animals and other <laughs> memes of this era that this happened in. Yeah, because it's it's meant to sound like gene you know, meme gene, yeah. basically the spreading of information that is, it's from the Greek mimima, which means to imitate, and then it's patterned after genes. So meme gene, it, you know, now you know, now I've ruined it for you all. It's <laughs> been ruined by knowledge. Now it's no longer cool. It's no longer funny. Rip memes from <laughs> 20, whatever, 20, 2005 to 2020. I'm actually, now I'm imagining the American Chopper meme, but they're arguing about whether this knowledge ruins memes or enriches them. Because I think it enriches <laughs> them. I, I like knowing this stuff. Meta memes, the best memes of all. Yeah. Certainly not tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> so meme kids, we're going to talk about animals and how they spread information with each other. And we're going to start with otter Tupperware parties. So again, Grandma Katie is going to explain to you what a Tupperware party is. <laughs> So Tupperware parties were these things that happened, I think, in the 50s and 60s, where women would get together and sell Tupperware, which was this cool new thing where you stored food in these little plastic containers. And the premise of the Tupperware party is, hey, women are entrepreneurs now, but only for things that are domestic related and only if we present it as these fun Tupperware parties where ladies get together and have some tea and cookies and sell Tupperware. So it's kind of this, it was this interesting phenomena of, hey, women, you can be entrepreneurs too, but only with Tupperwares. Women love that stuff, right? <laughs> Don't worry. You can also sell lipstick and uh, <laughs> tips on child rearing probably and, you know, tea pink Tea cozies, things. whatever women like. Yeah. <laughs> Is it koozie? Tea koozies? <laughs> Never quite understood that. Is that. Never quite understood. Wait, wait, a, wouldn't a tea koozie be like that foam beer cover, but for a cup of tea? Maybe something that's, like that? Yeah, but it, the, there's an also oh, it's one a cozy, that fits around a teapot. A tea cozy. Is it a cozy? Yeah, I think it's, okay. I think it's like but a But then blanket. what's a koozie? Yeah. This is all extremely on topic. Anyways. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm smashing teas with the boys on Saturdays, I always throw a koozie on it to <laughs> keep it warm. When you're pounding back tea with the bros, yeah. <laughs> always get a koozie on there. Yeah. So scientists are throwing otters Tupperware parties because it is for research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I for this show, I want to... I've I've done a fun little okay I'm I'm getting really dumb and nerdy with this whole episode because first of all I've written titles for each of the sections usually I don't share them they're just for my reference but I titled this section there's no meme in teamwork and I thought I should share that <laughs> I did I was quietly appreciating the pun I didn't know if I could tell the listener I'm so glad we could <laughs> And I'm also starting off with, I've written a fake news headline for, you know how there are always these headlines that come out when there's a new trend, like kids are out there 
eating Tide Pods at massive rates, or they're rubbing Burt's Bees chapstick on their eyeballs, and it's called Beezin, and <laughs> these very hysterical news headlines yeah. that make it sound like these new trends are going to be the downfall and turn all the kids into Satanists. So I've written some of these to introduce what's happening with these animals. So here is this one. Scientists are giving otters Tupperware parties, a new trend that is surpassing TikToks and K-Pops. Where will the madness end? <laughs> so researchers are interested in otter tool use and how they learn. So sea otters famously use rocks on their tummies to crack open shellfish. So you know the little sea otters, they have their food on their tummies, they use the little rocks and smack open some shellfish to have a nice meal. The problem is it's harder to research sea otters, especially for these UK researchers, because you they couldn't get a captive population of them in zoos. So they looked at smooth-coated otters and Asian small-clawed otters, which were chosen for the Tupperware party study. <laughs> so the smooth-coated otter is found in the wetlands of Iraq, the Indian subcontinent, and Southeast Asia. They weigh up to about 24 pounds, which is 11 kilograms, and they're about the size of a medium dog, but a noodle dog, I guess, a long dog. <laughs> yeah, the, the most uh, aerodynamic but for water dog possible. <laughs> like if a dog was a plane but in a river. Does that make sense? Probably yes. not, but but carry Yes. On. No, no, it totally does. Plane do river 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 plane dogs. Yeah. If if dogs were airplanes that went through the river and they were covered in hair <laughs> and they bit the heads off of fish like this photo. I shared a photo with you, Alex. It's an otter biting the head off of a fish. Do you like it? He looks he looks like me when a pistachio shell is weird. I'm trying <laughs> to like I'm like fingers cannot do this job. It's time for teeth but carefully. Like that's what he's doing. <laughs> Now on to the small-clawed otter. The small-clawed otter is found in South and Southeast Asia in freshwater wetlands. It's a bit smaller than the smooth-coated otter. It weighs up to about 8 pounds, which is 3.5 kilograms, so it's the size of a little dog, like a chihuahua, but long, elongated chihuahua. Yeah. So again, a smaller aircraft in a river, and it's a dog. Uh, this is like a like a Cessna in a in a river. I don't yeah. know planes. Did I do Did I do good on that? Is that what a is that a plane? You know, as someone is that a small plane? As someone who has played Microsoft Flight Simulator 1997, uh, yes, that's correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to throw around my enormous expertise, but yes, <laughs> humble brag. Uh, so. <laughs> So these two species of otters can be found in UK zoos where the study took place. And they have the one of the other benefits of choosing these otters, the smooth coated otter and the small clawed otter, is they both have they're both very social in the wild, but they have slightly different habits. So the smooth coated otters hunt together cooperatively, whereas the small-clawed otters, though they're friends with each other and they hang out, they hunt independently. So the researchers gave the otters Tupperware filled with treats and watched to see if the otters would figure out how to open them on their own or with the help of their friends. So they put a whole bunch of great, wonderful snacks inside of these Tupperware containers. They put fish heads, Peanuts, mealworms, chick legs, and shrimp, which is actually exactly what my fridge looks like right now. 
Is it is one of those things chick legs? What's like a, like the legs, legs of a baby chicken? Is that it? I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Mm. Otters. Yeah. Otters delicious. Have, that is like on Otter. the one hand horrifying, and on the other hand, I could imagine learning that some restaurant is doing that, and and everybody's going crazy. <laughs> like I, I feel both ways about it. Yeah, the otter restaurant called Chic Chic, and it's <laughs> chick legs. <laughs> So the smooth-coated otters, which are the larger otters who hunt together, as the researchers predicted, were much better at copying each other and working together to solve these Tupperware puzzles. The mystery of the Tupperware. (laughs) And especially the young otters who were six times faster at learning how to open up the Tupperware than their elders. (laughs) So basically, it's as if these otters are... The Tupperware is the smartphones, and the otter, the older otters, are saying things such as, "Oh, I can't. I, you know, how do I get on the Twitters?" And then young otter is going, "Uh, duh! You just click these buttons, and the older otters are just baffled." But it's Tupperware. That's also, I'm just realizing because we're you're talking about otters doing that cute thing where they have the food on their belly and they eat it that way. That is like precisely mm-hmm. the smartphone pose. They already are. They are yes. very prepared for that situation. If we yeah. ever hook them up, we we have not tried to give otters smartphones yet, and I mm. think it's because we're afraid of what we'll find, which is <laughs> that they will take to it like a duck to water, or like an otter to water, and <laughs> basically outpace us on all the social medias. Can you imagine otter TikTok and otter Twitter? It would be amazing. We we stand no chance. Yeah, I only want to see animals on TikTok at this point anyway. Yeah. So like otter influencers would be the the death of all human inf- not literally, but figuratively the death of all human influencers. Although I don't know. <laughs> Otters are eating baby chicken legs all the time, so they are a little bit scary. Yeah. So- or it could it could be that thing, you know when you like accidentally switch the way your camera's facing and it's like mostly your chin mm-hmm. doing a bunch of like folds oh, yeah. somehow and it's very surprising. Like what if otters <laughs> like look cute from every angle except that one smartphone one from their belly and then we're like, oh never mind. Their belly. Forget it. Just <laughs> just a bunch of half eaten shellfish and their stuff like shrimp yeah. caught in their chin and yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I still want to see it. So the short the short clawed otters, so those smaller otters, didn't seem to understand that there is no I otter in team otter because they <laughs> didn't seem to learn from each other to work together to open these Tupperware. So they were working independently. They weren't learning from each other. And what's interesting about that is that seems to mirror their hunting behavior. So even though both of these species of otters are social with each other, the fact that one of them, the the smooth-coated otters, actually hunt together made all the difference in how they were able to cooperate and share information on how to open this Tupperware. Yeah, I, n- I never think of otter species having different uh, approaches to being social. That That's just fascinating on its own. <laughs> I just figured they all kind of do the same thing because I see otters yeah. as a monolith, apparently. Yeah, different strokes for different otter folks. <laughs> but the... This These findings are actually really important for conservation to see if captive otters, when released, would learn from their wild counterfar- counterfarts, 
would learn from their wild counterparts and survive, or conversely, if wild counterparts might be influenced by captive otters released into the environment and learn from them. So yeah, it's, it's really important to know how animals spread information, not just because it's interesting and it teaches us about the world, but it also helps us approach conservation correctly. Yeah, that's, isn't, that, isn't that a whole thing with almost all kind of animals where they'll just sort of be culturally different from the uh, culture is not the right word, but they'll they'll behave very differently well, from their it, fellow animals. Is it not the right word? You know, I think it's it's actually there's a question of whether we could call it culture or not because oh, if it's that? something that, I mean, if it's something that they learn and if it evolves over time, mm. it I don't know why we can't necessarily call it culture. I don't know why we can't call otters cultured. I think it's snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never let those otters into this school or some snob thing. I don't know what my character is, but you get it. <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, otters, no service. <laughs> so now moving on to another water-dwelling mammal, dolphins. So I think most people are well aware of how intelligent dolphins are, but it is sometimes spooky how smart they are and how they learn from each other like sleek terrifying robots that swim in the ocean and use their brains to echolocate anyways so here's a <laughs> here's my headline about dolphins dolphins across the world are engaging in a viral trend known as quote shelling what do you as a dolphin parent need to know about this dangerous new trend <laughs> i love i love trend headlines in general i love that i love that you're doing this framing it's the best they're, they're always they're always yeah. just like here's a term are you scared or not it's the best <laughs> like <laughs> Kids are doing waffling where they eat four waffles at once. Yeah. Yeah, they always they take like a regular noun and then turn it into a verb and you're like, "Oh, I guess I guess that's frightening yeah. now." Like like Kids you just look at something. Now. You look at something in the room They're like cheesing. Uh what's here? Uh, a coat. <laughs> Teens are coding. Like you know, like that's just how these things get written. It's great. <laughs> they're putting socks on their ears and they're calling it socking it. <laughs> But yeah, dolphins do engage in shelling, and this is the actual term used by marine biologists to describe this behavior. So in Shark Bay, Western Australia, dolphins are teaching each other shelling. Dun-dun-dun. So they will chase fish into an empty seashell. <laughs> I fail at the tongue twisters, obviously. Into an empty seashell, carry the... Man, yeah, okay, marine biologists to... must have to limber up to do any speaking about their work. <laughs> do mouth exercises. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they chase. All right. I'm going to do this. She sells seashells by the seashore. Okay, there we go. They chase fish into an empty seashell, carrying the shell to the surface of the water. And then they empty the fish into their mouths like it's a package of fish skittles. That rules. That's very good. <laughs> yeah. Like, we need more it's, animals that is, do snacking behaviors, just in general. I want to feel normal. Yeah, it's akin to us chasing Pringles into a Pringle package and then dumping it into our mouths. If Pringles were sentient animals, I guess. But yeah, it, it's incredibly intelligent behavior and very funny, too. 
<laughs> in some circles, this behavior is known as conching because they often use conches. <laughs> I think... <laughs> how, how is conching think, 10 times funnier than shelling? I don't know why. It just I is. don't know. I think it's because <laughs> I think it's because conch is such a cumbersome word yeah. that you could use... Shelling makes a lot of sense. It's simple. But to specify conch and, and say conching, trying to turn that into a verb is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so... Dr. Sonia Wild, behavioral ecologist at the Max Planck Institute of Animal Behavior in Germany, and her colleagues studied the dolphin behavior and found that instead of being good dolphins and learning from their parents, they're a bunch of delinquent dolphins learning shelling from their peers just to be trendy. <laughs> so, is this Dr. Can I, Wild? Hold on. Yeah, Dr. Sonia Wild, that's a person? <laughs> Yeah, that's a person, that's a behavioral a, ecologist. That's like a that's like a, a Da Vinci Code book, but about marine biologists' character name. That's amazing. It is me, Doctor Wild. Welcome to my chamber of mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine her having a comp a flooded compound filled with super intelligent dolphins with little collars that allow them to speak to humans, and it's Doctor Wild's Dolphin Emporium. <laughs> the I'm into it because also we we breeze past like the, these dolphins are in Shark Bay of Western Australia, right? Like <laughs> Dr. Sonia Wilde goes to Shark Bay is the thriller that I would like to see as a film. Sounds yeah, great. She's definitely got a secret lair. No offense. I think it's cool. But yes, she definitely has a secret lair. Prove <laughs> me wrong. So Dr. Wilde said, quote, you never know when it's going to happen. She's referring to shelling. It's really remarkable when all of a sudden there's a giant shell popping up by the boat being shaken by a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> One of two things is about to happen. You're going to make an animal behavioral discovery or a bunch of fish are going to break out into song and the dolphin is playing with the shells and everyone's going to start singing and convincing you to come to a new conclusion about your life and all of that. So... <laughs> <laughs> So the important thing about this discovery is that it shows dolphins don't just learn from their own family, but from unrelated peers. And I think that is very important in terms of understanding how information is passed amongst animals, especially one as intelligent as dolphins, because it shows, like we were talking about earlier, Alex, this idea of culture. What is culture? Is it passing information and habits amongst a group? And if these are their peers and not just their, ju not just their mothers or their own families, it means they're kind of creating, you know, a society. <laughs> <laughs> How soon did you get excited to say the word society? Was it like, like I was about halfway into okay. that sentence halfway, yeah. and I started my eyes started to tingle all over. <laughs> 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 uh, it's great i do yeah i think i i always think of the overall concept of calling it a school of fish when you talk about a group of fish and then that yeah. leads to like finding nemo it's actually a school ha 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 i think i'm <laughs> the most ready to think of marine life learning things from each other like teenagers like this so it's amazing that it's real it's not just like from our goofy terms and pixar movies I used to watch those old, I think those were the Max Fleischer cartoons. Is that is that the guy who did Betty Boop and stuff? And he had these ones that were, my favorite were the ones where you'd go underwater and you'd watch fish in their fish society. 
And there was one with this naughty <laughs> fish that didn't want to go to school. So he went out and hung out with all the bad fish and the mean octopuses. And it was, there was something so charming about, <laughs> he would have a gag where uh, a fish would pick up a phone off the hook, you know, one of those old timey phones where, what were they called? The old Oh, the rotary or uh, yeah, the, the uh, old timey rotary yeah. phones, and pick it up, and and the fish would leave, and then the phone would just be floating in the water, and just the the fun, the the idea of having a society underwater always tickles me. It's always very funny. <laughs> top comedy, <laughs> top tier comedy. <laughs> right, all our gravity based things are are foolish there. <laughs> but that's what's so interesting about dolphin tool use is they have to be really really ingenious about how they use these tools because they have to drive a fish into a shell, which is probably a fi natural fish behavior. They take refuge in any little crevice they find, but they make sure it's something that is movable, a container they can carry. And then when they carry it to the surface, they can toss the fish out of air where the fish can't really maneuver very easily so it's all just every step of this process of i scare the fish it goes into the shell i pick up the shell i take it out of the water to the surface of the water and toss it back like alex does with his buds on the week and drinking tea out of tea koozies <laughs> <laughs> uh crushing teas thank you crushing teas slamming them back <laughs> just you gotta slam some fish back out of a nice shell is what i'm saying to be cool in the dolphin world so <laughs> I'm, re I'm realizing fish are maybe the one thing that would be grosser to slam than hot tea. Uh, <laughs> well, remember, remember, I think there was a thing back in, what was it, like the 60s or 70s where teenagers were doing goldfishing or something where they would swallow <laughs> live goldfish and have these stupid oh. frat guys would have competitions to see how many live goldfish they could swallow, which is just mean <laughs> to goldfish, guys. <laughs> don't, don't be mean to goldfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let them live. So in case you were wondering, and I know you all were, it's not just vertebrates who help each other learn how to get food. So here's my headline about ants. Actually, Alex, you want to read this headline from uh, the Ooh. from the new new Ant Times? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, officials found that ants are practicing something called tandem recruitment, and I can only hope to God that these ants don't start recruiting our children. More at 11. You have to watch. <laughs> so these are Timnothorax albipennis ants, or rock ants, are found in Europe and like to build their colonies in the crevices of rocks. So they do tandem recruitment or tandem running, where one ant who knows where there's a tasty hot new restaurant called Old Discarded Banana Peel hey. will move side by side with another ant who doesn't know where this hot new dining spot is. And the savvy ant will slow down and pause at useful landmarks to help its partner learn the path to food. So the follower will make sure they're going the right way by continually patting the leader on the abdomen, but really it's the caboose part of the abdomen so it looks like it's just a bunch of encouraging butt pats which i think is really cute here's a video of two sisters butt patting their way to teamwork <laughs> if you want to see it yeah oh yeah i'm gonna fire this up 
<laughs> okay, so I've observed the padding, and it really looks a lot like tickling. I'm, I'm pretty into it as a, a thing to think of ants doing to each other while they're working. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and she's using her antenna to pat the leader on the butt. And yeah, it's it's really interesting because the leader will also show the follower these landmarks. So they'll pause in front of landmarks. So, you know, saying, hey, when you pass the old lemon rind and the wadded up tissue, then you get to the banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> Take a left at the discarded AOL CD case and then you're there. <laughs> That's another topical thing, isn't it? <laughs> AOL trial CDs. Hey kids, I'm hip. It's 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 old Katie here being hip and teaching you about memes and AOL trial CD discs. Well, well, uh, trash in particular, it's like a, a layered history of culture, right? Like it's a geological, it's true. you know. Like there's there's Eisenhower Tupperware down below it, you know, and you'll find stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be fascinating for future generations to go through landfills. <clears throat> And wonder, what were street sharks? What? <laughs> <laughs> Pogs, huh? <laughs> uh. Have you ever been subjected to the strange corporate ritual known as team building? Well, it may comfort you to know that you're not alone. Many animals who work together as teams need to learn how to communicate and synergize, and they do so in the form of play. Wolf families work together to ensure their survival, and play amongst a wolf pack helps establish relationships between the wolves, and also helps the wolves blow off steam and reduces conflict. So in the future, in post-COVID times, when we're forced to do team building exercises again, take a cue from wolves and start wrestling over a chunk of raw caribou to build those healthy interpersonal relationships. When we return, we're going to talk about more animal memes, specifically the way animals use their voices or their butts to communicate. And then we'll be talking about some viral tweets from literal birds. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
Birds may lack social media, but they do have social tweedia. Birds have an extremely complex method of vocal communication, including mating calls, territorial calls, and alarms meant to protect flocks from predators. But birds don't come pre-programmed with a static repertoire. They have to learn as young birds by listening to adults. And sometimes a new innovation in birdsong takes birdkind by storm. So Alex, this is a headline from Birdsong Bi-Weekly. Would you like to read it? <laughs> I want to subscribe to Birdsong Bi-Weekly, but I, sure, I'll read that. Um, in Canada, a new song has taken white-throated sparrows by storm. These sparrows are bucking traditional songs in favor of this hot new tune. Some older sparrows take umbrage at the change. What was wrong with the old song, says Manitoba bird resident Peepers McCheepers. <laughs> I didn't I didn't read very fast with my eyes, and Peepers McCheepers really hit me in a good way. That felt great. Oh, that old Peepers McCheepers always telling young birds to get off his front twig. Stay away from the McCheepers place. Oh, come on, other kid birds. And then, you know, they... Old man Peepers McCheepers... You can't, you can't do do ring and ditch on his nest. I mean, we don't even have doors. <laughs> so white-throated sparrows in Canada have been observed changing their signature song over a relatively short period of time. In just 20 years, birds from 2,000 miles around have adopted the new song, which is an unusually rapid change in birdsong behavior. So often birdsong lasts a really long time, hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. But in this case, these birds are changing their song really rapidly. I know 20 years seems like a long time, but in terms of evolutionary history and in terms of behavioral changes in huge groups of animals, that is really fast. That's that's viral in terms of when it comes to Mother Nature, 20 years is viral. <laughs> so birds learn songs while young by listening to their elders. So usually songs remain stagnant over many years because they're picking up on the main song and they're repeating it. But these birds shifted their song from a characteristic three-note ditty to a new two-note song which really speaks to how they just don't write bird songs like they used to, you know? <laughs> right. In my in my day, you needed to know three notes to play bird song. Now it's all these punks doing two notes as if that's even music. It's really fun to me. <laughs> it's just noise. It's just sounds. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been getting into country music the last few years and like there's an old saying about oh, yeah? country music is that it's three chords and the truth. Like, I, I like the idea that the old birds are like, it was three notes in the truth, man. That was it. And now. <laughs> well, even even animal behavioral experts are have an interesting perspective on it. So Dr. Ken Otter, who surprisingly studies birds and not otters. Come on, scientists. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Come on. Well, hey, do, we, do we know that Ken Otter is, it's not like. Oh, Dr. Ken, who is an otter, you know? Like, is this a person? Oh, he is probably is an this... otter. It's probably an otter in a I lab I have a new study on, I I am writing a grant proposal for a study on birdsong. Now, if only I can get this dang Tupperware open, <laughs> god dang it, it's full of the tastiest of fish heads and chick legs. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Dr. Ken Otter, the lead author of a study examining this shift in bird song, said, quote, White-throated sparrows have this classic song that's supposed to sound like it goes, quote, Oh, my sweet Canada, 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 he explains. And then <laughs> he says, and our birds, they sound like they're going, Oh, my sweet Canada, 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 Canada. <laughs> Which is really funny to me how... Uh, <laughs> it sounds like he's criticizing them for being unpatriotic in Canada. It's like, yeah. these goddamn young sparrows are unpatriotic little ingrates. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, first of all, Ken Otter, I'm sorry I said you're an actual Otter. But second, <laughs> you're probably Canadian. And as Katie said, well, he's it's Ken adorable that you are so patriotic in your, <laughs> in your bird song <laughs> research. <laughs> Ken Otter from Canada, who's an Otter. Sorry, it all makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> here is the historic song of the white-throated sparrows. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, oh, my Canada, Canada, Canada. Yeah. And then. And here is the new pop song that all these birds are singing. Yeah, so you, you hear the difference. It's kind of subtle, but yeah, they're, they're definitely dropping a syllable there. Yeah, they're just, it's more concise. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like that bird music is like, uh, like how we humans innovate all culture, where, which is, among other things, just yeah. making it shorter and tighter, usually. Making it shorter, making it tweetable, clickable content. Yeah. It's just all, it's all about making it concise, these short attention spans. Sorry, it's not just humans, it's birds too. Yeah, you you play me that first bird song. I'm leaving at intermission, all right? I don't have time for this. <laughs> I need it tight. <laughs> so Dr. Jeffrey Potos, who studies bird song, says that most alterations to songs don't actually catch on amongst birds, but, quote, for some reason, some birds just went deviant, which again <laughs> sounds awfully judgmental. <laughs> Yeah, does the does the report say how much stank he put on that quote? Come on, <laughs> Jeffrey. Very judgy. So the new song doesn't seem to have any effect on their survival or even their desirability to mates. So it's a real mystery why the birds seem to prefer it. It's It really does seem to be as if the birds feel that this is shorter and easier to tweet out. <laughs> they they want Twitter to go back to the old character limit. Gosh darn it! Remember when it was 140 characters back in my day? Yeah, we had to be concise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I because bird song. Well, I guess I wonder if it varies across species, but it's like just for mating, right? Like there's not it's there's not also some communication thing of like all the seeds over here or it's gonna rain or something. Like <laughs> Well no bird calls bird calls can be about communication, absolutely. It can be warning other birds of predators. Yeah. It can be basically saying, This is my territory, stay out. There's all sorts of things they can communicate using bird song and bird calls. But yeah, it, it is also used for mating. So I think this one this might be specifically a mating song, but it is, yeah, it's just really interesting because, again, they're not really sure why this is preferable other than it maybe being more concise. It's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the birdsong version of, I, I'm Canadian, you get it, like rather than explaining the whole thing. 
like, well, we're very polite <laughs> and we like hockey. And, you it's know, the bird version of sup instead of what's up. <laughs> right. Or OMG instead of oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> OMG stands up for oh my gosh, right? Oh my gorsh. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, gorsh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So another animal that has an interesting way of spreading communication and keeping up the memes, they don't even have to make any sound at all. And these are synchronized fireflies. So Alex, do you want, want to hit me with this headline that I found from the Firefly Bugle? <laughs> <laughs> yes, here we go. Do you know where your children are? Do you know if they're doing the flashy, hot, fad, snappy sinks? That's just, so, yeah. I'm not going to read Firefly Bugle anymore. That, that's just making me scared. <laughs> I don't want an alarmist Firefly publication. <laughs> I thought this was about the television so, show. That's why I bought it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, the, the Firefly. Firefly Bugle is in a long, long lawsuit with the makers of the TV show Firefly because <laughs> they're like, we've been Fireflies for hundreds of millions of years. Oh, yeah. It's like when wrestling had to change the acronym and not the environmental group. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but also if you put a – I bet they decided that by actually putting a panda in the ring with one of the wrestlers and the panda just wiped the floor with their butt because pandas look – Pandas look really sweet and innocent, but they're still bears, you know? They're still pretty powerful animals. <laughs> <laughs> just heaving Cena over the ropes just to do it. <laughs> you can't see me. And the panda's like, I can see you. <laughs> Snaps them in half like a big piece of bamboo. So... Fireflies like to communicate with their bioluminescent lower abdomens, or, as I like to say, their bioluminescent butts. It's not really a butt. Insect anatomy is, is different, so they don't really have a butt in the way that a human does, but it looks like the butt area. It's the lower abdomen, okay? I'm going to call it a butt. Maybe it's not scientific, but hey, it's a firefly butt. What are you going to do? So... Yeah, if you're if you're pro abdomen, give us a call at one two three. Who cares <laughs> or whatever the number is, right? Forget it. <laughs> so, Boturus frontalis, aka the snappy sink firefly, are a species of firefly who like to synchronize their blinking, and I, I like their name, snappy sinks. It just sounds it sounds like an old person trying to name a social media platform and getting it wrong. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People getting on the the Snapchats or the Snappy Syncs or the iTalks or whatever. The tweet book. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Them gosh darn Snappy Syncs. So they're found in North America and their synchronized light shows are often a celebrated spectacle. So males of this species offer up a spectacular light show of synchronized flashing to attract females. And researchers are trying to figure out how they synchronize so exactly. When So the fireflies really can only see when they're flashing like 
you know, to be able to synchronize with so many fireflies simultaneously when you could only see just a few fireflies in your line of sight, uh-huh. it's pretty incredible thinking about how they are able to synchronize it where they go on and off at the same time, like gosh darn string lights, which actually when I mentioned string lights, the researchers used some string lights to try to imitate the firefly blinking to be able to study the response of other fireflies. So that is really funny. Just so they were like <laughs> research. They were like, we need a, an artificial version of this group of fireflies. Get the box labeled Christmas out of the attic. And, and here we exactly, go. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Dusting off the Christmas lights. It's like, is it Christmas yet, daddy? Nope. Researching fireflies. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> so, also, you know it's hot out, right, son? Like, come on. <laughs> so right now, planned gatherings to see the firefly light shows have been canceled due to COVID, but this has given researchers an opportunity to study the fireflies with lower levels of light pollution and commotion. And actually, Alex, there's a research going on in South Carolina right now studying these fireflies. I could, yeah, research not shows I can go see, huh? Because I would drive down. Sounds good. Yeah, I think those are closed, unfortunately. But hey, in the future, there are shows you can go see. Yeah, I mean, I'm. It it seems like like animal communication is when they jump out to us the most, like with the bird songs or with this these fireflies doing lights to tell each other stuff. Like it sounds like we're most interested in animals when they're chatting like this. So that's good. Keep keep yeah. talking it up, animals. I want to want to hang out. <laughs> Maybe fireflies are using some kind of Morse code, and we could decode it and become friends with the fireflies. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I have. I've been watching a lot of The Office, and when you said they synchronized their blinking, I thought of The Office cold open where Jim and Pam taught each other Morse code to mess with Dwight, and they, they just blinked their eyes in Morse code at each other at their desks. Yeah. <laughs> Much like the fireflies, they were using it in their mating ritual, Jim and Pam. <laughs> That we had to watch over the course of, I don't know, 10 frickin' seasons. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So even though researchers aren't exactly sure how they're synchronizing exactly, they think that the fireflies have some kind of internal clock or stopwatch that they are synchronizing with other fireflies. So basically they start to sync with the fireflies near them who sync with other fireflies and they're setting these these internal clocks to start like I blink now and then this X amount of time, which maybe they're calibrating based on the behavior of other fireflies. So it seems like there's some really incredibly complex math going on inside these little fireflies as they're syncing up, which is why it's so fascinating to researchers. But it does amuse me thinking about all these dozens and dozens of fireflies all trying to synchronize and how frustrating that might be. As a podcaster, I know how that is trying to synchronize <laughs> our, our Zoom meeting, but all these fireflies with little internal stopwatches going like, okay, ready, go. No, 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 Jim, Jim, now, go now. No, God, Bill, no, stop. Hey, okay, everyone just stop. No, stop. Everyone stop right now. Okay, ready? Oh, my God, Kevin, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that. Well, also, I were were you ever in marching band? This whole thing sounds like marching yes. band practice to me. Uh, I played the French horn in marching band. Oh, so but like you context, had a euphonium or something, was... right? You didn't carry the French horn <laughs> in the field. No, I carried a French horn. Oh, that sounds hard. Yep. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was horrible. 
Yeah, I, I played trumpet. We were kind of designed for it. it was like Marshall, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. No, French horn is not really designed for marching, and it was super annoying, and I just kept getting condensed spit all over my hand because I have... you With the French horn, you have to shove your hand up the horn and shape your yeah. palm to shape the sound as it comes out, but then all of this condensation gets all over your hand as you're marching, and it's really heavy and awkward, and I was this really tiny kid, so basically a stiff wind could have knocked me over in my French horn to the ground, and it was, yeah, it was trying to do that and synchronize everything. It was the worst experience ever. No, it was not that bad, but it was pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Must have been hilarious for people watching, just this, this tiny, like imp of a person trying to carry this French horn and stumbling and tripping and face going red as I try to get a note out. Yeah. Pretty great. I I hope those words were being spoken in the crowd. Like, look at that imp. Look at the imp down there. It's very fun to me. (laughs) Look at that imp with that weird, confused, tangled up horn. (laughs) So in terms of communicating language, sometimes, so, so some animals go through a process of learning where their parents actually teach them. And we're going to get into that a little bit more with our next section. But right now I want to talk about the ways that whales communicate and how their young seem to just kind of osmose this, which is similar to how human children learn language. Obviously, we do teach them and we try to teach them how to read and write and speak. But really, children do a lot of learning just by taking it in and osmosing this information, which I think is really fascinating. So sperm whales, which are the bus-sized mammals that roam the world's oceans, have complex clicks that are used to communicate with each other. And what's interesting is each family and regional group has their own specific dialect of clicks. So it's a sequence of clicks that is unique to their group. And it shows that whale communication is, in essence, cultural. They learn from their group. They learn from the group of whales that they socialize with. And they each have their own twang on it which i think is fascinating yeah whale so, accents very into it yeah you got some whales it's gonna howdy it's me i'm a sperm whale <laughs> don't you laugh at my name it's scientific it's scientific like <laughs> so whale calves will naturally pick up on this unique lingo from their mothers and their elders and when they grow up, they'll have that unique dialect as well. So again, little baby whales, howdy neighbor, <laughs> having their, their own twang on, on whale clicks. So this language can be used by sperm whales to communicate information, such as when a calf is in peril or when it's time for the group to hang out together, socialize, pound back some tea. <laughs> <laughs> Pound, go watch watch some dolphins as they as they go shelling and and comment on it going like now in my day we never had dolphins doing this shelling or whatever <laughs> I don't know why I imagine all 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 uh, sperm whales as having a southern accent but now that I do it's completely stuck and I can't imagine it another way 
Yeah, well, I know, I know you picked the accent for fun, but I was hoping it was a thing where, like, like that Canadian bird researcher said, well, oh, oh, well, they're all saying Canada. Like, I hope it's a southern whale yeah. researcher who's like, you know, the whales <laughs> have many ways of saying y'all or <laughs> or going to Bojangles specifically for chicken or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. California researchers, just all they can see is whales saying dude all the time. Right. It's, it's got 47 ways of saying dude. <laughs> yeah, this whale group's dialect knows the in and out secret menu and refers to highways as the five instead of I five and <laughs> <laughs> so you can play some oh. of these clicking sounds of sperm whales, which is it kind of sounds a little bit like underwater popcorn to me, but oh wow, it's a lot more rapid than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you think of whale song, you think of the. The sort of like, ooh, but yeah, the sperm whales use clicking, which is that rapid kind of like, and they, again, it's hard for, it's really funny to me to think about how that has an accent or has a dialect and how, like, how do you distinguish the dialects with with these clicking sounds but it it is interesting it really does kind of decontextualize the idea of having a dialect where it is it's just it's just a pattern of sounds and so if it's a pattern of clicks to these whales they're meeting other whales and they're they're picking up on wow this is a completely different dialect from mine yeah because also it's I feel like it's like those little rapid clicks and then also like a stepping on an old stair kind of quick, you know, like a weird squeezing <laughs> sound. I didn't say it right at yeah. all, but I, I don't speak well. Uh, but 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 <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah, I guess I could see the the creek especially having some kind of accent on it where you're like, yeah. you hear it wrong from another whale and you're like, what are you, French? You know, or something, you know, whatever the equivalent is. Le creek. <laughs> right. <laughs> Le click, le click. <laughs> Human language is by far the most complex form of communication on Earth. One of the theories as to why humans are so uniquely good at communication, surpassing our close cousins, the Neanderthals, is that we're capable of nesting concepts in cultural constructions. Our language and the way our brains work allow for a concept to be housed inside a convenient container, to be easily accessed and used in a larger concept. For instance, the word orange is a container for a whole bunch of different ideas, such as orange the fruit, orange the color, orange the flavor, and there are all sorts of variations on each of these things, but we can collapse all of these ideas into a single word, orange, and then we can nest that word inside another word, like a barrel of oranges, or orange juice, or orange you glad I didn't say banana? I'm sorry, you walked right into that one. When we return, we're going to talk a bit about how some animal memes spread, mainly through parental supervision. That's pretty cool. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. 
With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Parents, have you taught your children any memes lately? You probably have without knowing it. The original definition of meme is just a behavior, idea, or style that is transferred from one person to the other through imitation. And kids first start to learn by imitating their parents. So parents, I hate to break it to you, but your kids are learning all of your personal memes, whether it's the way you like to brush your teeth, the way you talk, or those stale Star Wars prequel memes you love so much. So now I want to talk about how young animals learn information. So Alex, would you like to read this headline from Meerkat Monthly? Uh, Yes, of course. Uh, Let me just open my copy. Flip, 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 flip. (laughs) Meerkats have been found to take hits of a substance known as scorpion. Experts say that scorpion is the street name for uh, uh, dead scorpions. And meerkats are teaching their own children to get their sick kicks from this dangerous high. So meerkats are a small mongoose found in southern Africa. You know, they're Timons, a bunch of little Timons running around eating scorpions. I wish Timon was like the baby meerkat in this picture that I'm looking at. It's just (laughs) savagely destroying a scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) I have shown Alex a picture of an adorable baby meerkat tearing a scorpion to shreds in a way that makes you feel sorry for the scorpion. (laughs) So meerkats are highly social animals who live in communal colonies. They're actually eusocial. So eusociality is the thing that is more commonly associated with bees and ants and also naked mole rats. But basically, eusociality is a type of social structure marked by cooperative care of young, overlapping generations within the colony and division of labor, such as a division of reproductive and non-reproductive members. Often you'll have a queen or dominant members that basically rule over the other subjects in this eusocial group. So... Eusocial mammals are actually quite interesting, and they're very different from eusocial insects. So eusocial insects have this complex genetic reproductive organization that actually makes it make sense for why they're eusocial. So insects like bees and ants are actually haploid diploid, which is a term meaning that the females are diploid, meaning that they have gametes from their mother and their father, 
and males are haploid, meaning that they only have gametes from their mother. So when you think about, you know, you, you think about chromosomes getting, you get one, as humans, we get one set from our mother, we get one set from our father. And so with these insects, they actually get, if you're female, you get uh, two sets from your mother and one set from your father. If you're male, you only get your chromosomes from your mother. So sisters in these colonies, and all worker ants, worker bees are all sisters, they're all female, are actually three-fourths related to each other, unlike human or mammalian siblings that are only half related to each other. And they're actually more related to their sisters than they are to their own offspring. So what this means is that by having these eusocial behaviors where they help the colony survive, copies of that gene that is responsible for making them eusocial is more likely to be passed on when they are all working together. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so, yeah. I always, I always, I've always just kind of thought of insects as, uh, like, like when I say think of insects, I'm mostly thinking of watching animated films involving insects, like A Bug's Life and Ants with a Z and Bee Movie. <laughs> a uh, Bee Movie. <laughs> but all those movies, it's always like, oh, a regular ant or bee who wants to rise in society. And as a viewer, I'm always yeah. like, nope, like uh, only some of you have all the genes <laughs> and some of you don't. And it's just like <laughs> fundamental to your weird insect species. And it's not like mammal life at all. <laughs> First of all, I'm always frustrated with insect-based movies because they rarely depict it realistically where most of, actually all of the workers are females and the males, basically oh. the males' jobs are to live, be fed, and then go and reproduce, which is a pretty cushy life when you think about it. But yeah, flick in a bug's life. But yeah, the, they would not be males. They would be females. And so essentially they get, so they're more related to their sisters. And so that is why it makes more sense for them to be eusocial and give up that, that freedom of having their own offspring, which they can still technically do. They can have a male offspring by having an unfertilized offspring, but then they're really only half related or they, they really only share some of their genes with that offspring and then they share more genes with their sisters. And so it, it, it's, it just isn't very advantageous for the genes to be passed on if all of these ants or bees are trying to reproduce on their own rather than follow the eusocial structure. So mammals are diploid, meaning you get, it's half and half with the mother and father. And so with meerkats, they don't have this thing where they're more related to their sisters than they are to their own offspring. So how does being eusocial make any sense? So the reproductive group are basically just bullies. So meerkats <laughs> will bully their way to the top in terms of reproduction. And they, the reason that this system works for meerkats is that the environment they live in is such this niche, harsh environment that by having this really tight-knit social group that all help each other, it makes them more likely to survive even though 
some of them are just bullying their way to the top and becoming the ones that reproduce, and some of them lose out. But it actually, in totality, makes it more likely that these meerkats are going to survive. So the the genes that code for these these eusocial behaviors actually do survive because these groups of eusocial meerkats are more likely to survive. Of course, there's there's a lot of debate on how exactly this works, but that's yeah. that's one theory, and that's sort of a, a general theory of it. And also, uh, the it's not entirely eusocial because the there are definitely cheaters in the system. So the meerkats that are not dominant will try to sneakily mate, and <laughs> the they will. There's all sorts of shenanigans that go on with these meerkats, like the 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 subordinate females will will have affairs and try to sneakily mate or sneak off and start their own colony or go mate with another colony. They will sometimes murder each other's offspring. There's just all sorts of of intrigue with these these meerkats, which is why I think they I, meerkats had their own soap opera. Basically, yeah. the, it was a documentary series called Meerkat Manor, and it was basically a meerkat soap opera. But they are extremely extremely drama driven animals. So <laughs> that's a little rundown on how meerkat society works. But when we're not talking about you know murder and 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 uh, murder and deception, they are actually pretty adorable in terms of how they work together. So they cooperatively raise their offspring. They all have each other's back in terms of protecting the colony from predators. And the adult meerkats will teach their young how to eat scorpions, one of their favorite food. And they will bring babies, dead scorpions, to learn how to de-sting and eat them. So it is. it looks horrifying where you have this adult take this big dead scorpion and drop it in this little baby, cute baby meerkat's lap and be like, here's a present, it's a dead scorpion. But then they learn how to eat them. So for really young meerkat pups, the adults are really soft on them. They bring them scorpions that have already been de-stingered, so they rip the stinger off so that they're not getting that those nasty stings from it. And once the pups get a little bit older, the adults will be like, okay, we're done coddling you. Here's just a whole ass scorpion, figure it out. <laughs> but that's to teach them how to survive once they're adults. How, how do you deal with this scorpion and get rid of the bad parts and only get the nice, juicy, delicious parts of the scorpion? <laughs> right, you've, you've had your scorpion lessons, now get to it. I'm not, I'm not paying for any more scorpion lessons, okay? You're just moving the scorpion around on your plate. I see what you're doing. <laughs> Eat your whole scorpion or you get no dessert of more scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> That's also I'm glad I'm glad your headline at the top or like or like news story at the top had like just the word scorpion. I don't know. It's very fun in every context every time. Like scorpions <laughs> as a as a drug name or just a funny animal to be eating or Ryan Gosling's yeah. jacket in that one driving movie. I don't know. They're just they're just funny to me. It's also my zodiac sign. Oh, that's right. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was so lame when I was a little kid. I wanted something cool like Libra or one of the cute ones like Leo. I want to be a lion, but no, I'm a gross Scorpion. Now I think it's cool. I was about to say. I know. You, next, you wanted a cool yeah. one, and you you got the Scorpion one. 
Whoa. <laughs> like I hardcore. just thought it was a weird thought it was just a weird gross insect and now I know better. It's actually an arthropod, but it's still weird and gross. <laughs> yeah, it's just all like segments and pointy stuff. Like it's it's cartoonishly it's great, aggressive. Much like my personality. The Zodiac <laughs> called it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get eaten by meerkats, I guess. That's true. That's true. They're always they're always looking at me. <laughs> ripping off my stinger with their eyes. I see what you're up to, meerkats. <laughs> so <laughs> So now I want to talk about another animal that teaches its young in a really, really intelligent way, in a really fascinating way, how they pass on this information from generation to generation. Well, that was that rhymed. Sounds like I'm, uh, I've got a good, good learning song going on. <laughs> how do these orangutans pass on information from generation to generation? <laughs> it's like the magic school bus for orangutans. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so orangutans are big orange apes found in Indonesia and Malaysia. They are, in my opinion, extremely cute. They're those big, big old hairy redheads. I, I relate as a redhead <laughs> to orangutans. <laughs> so they are highly intelligent. They use tools. And like we were talking about earlier, Alex, different groups of orangutans seem to have their own culture when it comes to habits and tool use. These nuances and how they use tools, how they, it differs from group to group. And it makes sense because they're highly social. They learn a lot from each other and from their, their mothers. So you have different, basically different orangutan culture, which is really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love, uh, used to be a zoo tour guide. I don't know if everybody knows that about me, but when I was like, I, uh, I do now, yeah. I learned about that on your bison podcast. It was so great. <laughs> uh, and I, like when I was on the clock, I was on a tram. So I would mostly see the outdoor exhibits of large animals. And then whenever I had like time off, I would go look at the primates indoors. Cause it's just like, yes, very fun to watch them socialize. It, it, mainly the gorillas. Cause you, they, to me, had faces that would do human things a lot, but the orangutans as well. Yeah. It was it was a lot of like hanging out in a way I found relatable. Yeah, whenever I go to a zoo or wildlife area and I make eye contact with a primate, I want to cry. <laughs> it's oh. like, uh, and they they glance at me, and I feel as if I am now connected to all of nature, which is kind of silly, but yeah, when a uh, whenever I go to the, the San Diego Zoo and a gorilla just glances at me, I, I feel like the most special girl in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so it, it is, it does give me chills how intelligent these animals are. So one of the orangutans' more interesting behaviors is their nest building. So to keep themselves safe and sheltered, orangutans build nests in treetops like they think they're birds or something. So they build <laughs> these nests out of foliage, branches, and vegetation. And you can imagine it's a bit tricky to build a nest big enough and strong enough for an orangutan to sleep peacefully in a treetop. You think about treetops, you don't think about a huge orangutan just snoozing up there right. <laughs> so they actually have to have some construction know-how 
And young orangutans must learn from their mothers how to become nest engineers. So nest building for orangutans goes beyond just piling a bunch of leaves together in a tree. They create a woven foundation by bending live tree branches in order to create a support for the nest. And then they will weave a mattress out of smaller branches And this creates a strong base for them to sleep in. Once they've done all of that, they can get kind of fancy with it. Sometimes they'll create a blanket out of leafy branches or pillows made out of piles of vegetation. They can get as fancy as they want with it. You know, just a a recliner. They press a little a little button made out of twigs, and and the bed goes up and down. You know how it is. I mean, I have seen house hunter type shows once in a while, so I'm just imagining one orangutan telling another orangutan its vision and its budget, you know, and then going from there. (laughs) (laughs) My new sleep number branch nest allows me to sleep on one side, whereas my my other orangutan likes to sleep with more firmness. Imagining orangutan mattress sales people going around, or sales orangutans going around, <laughs> trying to trying to sell like you'll get a bunch of Z's on this baby, and they pat it, and it falls out of the tree. <laughs> that it's supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, they are just large. Like it has to, it have to, you'd have to pick a really solid branch, and then do a lot of really yeah impressive building to hold up an orangutan yes. in a handmade nest. Uh, made out of just what they can grab. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it there's a lot of thought that's put into it, and they actually have to learn it from their mothers. They watch them do it. They start to participate when they're very young because you have to build up this skill. Otherwise, if you create a shoddy nest, you're going to fall out of the tree, and that's not good. Yeah. So also they do it all the time. So they typically construct new nests almost every day. And wow. it, so you have to not only know how to do it in a way that makes it secure and stable, but also relatively quickly because you're doing this every day. And it's, it's really, it takes, I think it, it's kind of, it's not maybe apparent when you first think about it, how much intelligence that takes. But when you really think about, well, could I just build a nest that would support my body weight in a tree every day? It's hard. It'd be hard to do. I mean, obviously, as humans, we are quite good at construction, but just figuring that out when you're in the middle of a forest and you don't have any bricks or galvanized nails or whatever people use in construction. I know how to construct things, you know, (laughs) two by fours to create a sturdy nest out of just what you find. It's very incredible. Yeah. And yeah, if nothing else too, like... It rains a lot where they live. So like you're you're constantly yeah. that's probably part of why they have to keep redoing it. Like there's rain all the time and yeah. uh you know, it's it's it sounds like a just a, a horrible process. I don't want to be an orangutan now. I changed my mind. <laughs> they will they'll also create sort of impromptu umbrellas out of leaves and, and leafy branches and hold it up over their heads and that's another thing that the babies learn how to do. It's really cute. We like like a uh, like a, a running around New York City guy with a newspaper when it's suddenly raining. Like, exactly. oh, geez, mm-hmm. oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> a, a copy of 
of the orangutan tribune <laughs> i've had to come up with so many fake animal news publications this episode <laughs> and now i'm subscribed to all of them and i can't cancel <laughs> oh no <laughs> looks like you've subscribed to rat facts do you want to unsubscribe and you press unsubscribe you've been subscribed to double rat facts <laughs> Speaking of rat facts, here's some. So fetal rats actually start learning before they're even born, which is really, really interesting. So there have been studies on rats in utero that shows that they can learn about food and smell before they've been born. So fetal rats can detect odor particles from their mother's food that they absorb through the placenta. Wow. And when the rats are born, they actually show a positive response to these foods. So they're learning from their mothers what food she prefers. And so to aid in their survival, they also prefer those foods because it's, it's teaching them basically, hey, pizza's great. Go and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel Amazing. if it, it, pizza rat would probably be really, if pizza rat was pregnant, She'd be super judged, like, oh, you're teaching your baby that pizza is a healthy food. But, you know, <laughs> all, the, all the judgments that are put on new rat mothers, I think it's really unfair, personally. <laughs> I really like a, the idea of a picky high-status rat. Like, I only have water <laughs> from medium-gross puddles and stuff. Like, really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> I only eat half rotten tomatoes for my baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a ratatouille, ratatouille rat <laughs> just going around trying to convince rat mothers to eat fancy French food. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this does add to the lore of ratatouille, right? Because we don't know who Remy's oh. mother is, the rat in ratatouille. We don't know what happened to his mother. And so his mother must have eaten fancy food, which made little Remy like fancy food. And so that whole dynamic with his father and his brother makes it even deeper. You see how biology makes it more fun to watch Pixar movie kids? <laughs> that's like, that's legitimately a pretty good pitch for Ratatouille too. Like the start of the movie, he <laughs> finds out that for generations, his, his ancestors have been with restaurants and chefs and stuff. I'm pretty into it. <laughs> ratatouille 2, ratatouille. Oh, of course. Yep. That, that's the correct title. I'll yes. Yeah. I'll accept my praise now. Thank you. I'll accept my job at Pixar now. Thank you. <laughs> also, researchers have also shown that fetal rats can be taught negative reactions to foods as well. So there was this, if you actually look into the study, it's pretty crazy <laughs> because researchers <laughs> took these 20-day-old fetal rats out of the mother and put, they would describe it things like, oh, we put these rats on some wet, these, these basically orbs of fetal rats covered in this amniotic sac on these moist paper towels to keep them moist. <laughs> And safe. Uh, but yeah, they, they took them out. They're just these these orbs with developing rats in. Pretty, pretty, I guess, sort of matrix-esque, the rat matrix. But they injected them with 
a food stimulus, which was apple juice. So they took these very fine needles, injected the amniotic sac with apple juice, and then with, I think it was lithium chloride, which is an unpleasant salt that the fetus doesn't, I guess fetuses don't like lithium chloride. I, I don't know that much about chemistry. But after, so basically they were training these rats that after apple juice comes this unpleasant stimulus. And when the rats were born, they showed an aversion to apple juice, which That's crazy. just seems kind of cruel, you know, to offer these baby rats a juice box and you've given them this trauma from when they were fetal fetal rats. Like, you want this juice box? And the baby rats, no, excuse me. <laughs> I remember. I remember from before I was born. Yeah, it might. I don't know. I don't even know if it's a taste thing. It might be a, this reminds me of when I was like a Matrix person, like being dragged <laughs> into a gooey uh, machine world. Like, <laughs> I would not want to have foods from that time, even if they're great. With the ad advanced technology of moist paper towels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically what I'm trying to say is we could be delivering memes to fetuses in the womb if we play our cards right. Yeah. Well, we got to, you know, American children are falling behind the rats, you know? And so right. if we right. can <laughs> teach them about impact font and uh, hard luck, yeah. Harold, and uh, what are some other people memes? who are pregnant right now? You need to work harder at introducing memes to your unborn child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know if you hold a meme up to a pregnant belly, the fetus actually absorbs the dank meme? <laughs> <laughs> oh man i've never felt older doing an episode <laughs> more ancient and out why? of touch why because our memes are old uh, is that it <laughs> uh yes yes the We're doing stale great, memes I think. I think so but when this comes out in a week oh. memes will be over they we won't have memes anymore in a week <laughs> this will seem very dated <laughs> Well, Alex, thank you so much for going on this learning journey with me into the world of dank animal memes. Do Katie, you anytime. have any memes of your own to plug? <laughs> <laughs> I just hold up like an advice wolf or whatever it was. That's my thing. Um, Alex, AlexMemes.GeoCities. <laughs> No, I, uh, it's been great being here. Uh, I'm between podcasts right now, but starting something soon. Uh, if you go to tinyletter.com slash Alex next show, uh, or you can find that on my social media at Alex on Twitter, uh, you'll get a little email newsletter one time uh, when I have something new to share. That'll be very exciting. Uh, and also, and, and uh, I have a podcast mini series out now at bisonemojipodcast.com about creating the bison emoji, and it features great guests like Katie Golden. So check that out. <laughs> who is she no. uh, <laughs> yeah definitely subscribe to the Alex tri-weekly newsletter I think it's a great read I don't know if it's tri-weekly or not I just like saying that oh but because <laughs> well, I have two I have one email newsletter that I've been doing for a long time that's just free fun internet stuff that I like to share uh, but right. then there's also like a one-off newsletter Alex Schmitty next show uh, that will just give you like an update when I have a new podcast going on Subscribe to the Alex Inquirer, the Alex Tribune, the yeah. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> the 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 Alex Examiner. Yeah, there are so many 
Alex-based publications that one can subscribe to. Subscribe to them all. <laughs> right. My rat fetus publication, my firefly <laughs> publication, my orangutan rat song fetus. stream on SoundCloud. You know, you get it. Rat, rat fetus fair, a magazine to keep up on all the rat fetus news. So if you want to keep up with the Creature Feature news, you can subscribe to Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That's something very different. And to keep up with the, the Katie Times, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie Colden, where I just talk about, it's basically Katie opinions. So, you know, my opinions on stuff. It's not necessarily related to the show, but if you're curious about on all of my basically unasked for opinions on other stuff, that's where you go. <laughs> also jokes, also fun jokes and memes. So many memes. And you also, as always, perhaps the original meme in the world is pro bird rights. The yeah. first meme. No, I don't know that. But on pro bird rights on twitter.com, the website, I explain why birds are basically the best animal and we should allow them to rule us on earth you know just basic facts yeah people listeners know that the audubon people officially said that katie coined burb as like a meme about small birds right like you're you're a high-ranking meme creator you would be on the (laughs) the mount rushmore of it or a good a good mountain but you get it they sent me a 10-foot-tall burb statue made (laughs) cast out of solid bronze (laughs) It's in the center of my apartment. There's no space for a fridge anymore. I had to dump the fridge to make sh- make room for my giant burb bronze statue commemorating my burb meme that I coined. <laughs> and since it's indoors, birds can't land on it, which is ironic. You know, it sucks for them. That's right. It is ironic. They look out from outside wistfully wishing they could poop on it. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's how the meme crumbles. <laughs> that's how the meme crumbles. If you're enjoying this ridiculous show where I give you animal facts and and dad jokes and memes all all in one sitting, just if you leave a review, subscribe, download, all of those things, write a review, especially all of those things actually really help with the algorithm. So I really appreciate you guys listening. And if you want to want to press any of those podcast related buttons, that would be so, so much appreciated. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.